Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz. And you can find it right on the homepage of my website, that's sumatisparks.com. As like Sam, U-M-A-T-I-S-P-A-R-K-S.com. And when you enter your email, you'll be added to my mailing list as well. And you'll be the first to learn about both my online events as well as my live events in the San Francisco Bay Area. So tonight, I'm just brimming with joy about having as my guest, Jessica Hadari. Jessica supports ambitious women trailblazers to lead with pleasure and deep self-care and mend the world with divinely guided activism. Just a few short years ago, Jessica was suffering from chronic pain and on food stamps because of her debilitating illness. She was guided to learn how to live a pleasure-guided life of radical self-care and to deeply nourish herself with divine guidance and better boundaries. And now she runs a successful business in the multiple six figures, centered entirely around collaboration and showcasing the brilliance of women. Working only a few part-time days per week, Jessica spends most of her time in deep gratitude for her journey from the dark night of the soul into self-love, sisterhood, and light. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me here and inviting me into this conversation. Very excited. Thank you, Sumati. So glad to have you here, Jessica. Thank you for saying yes. (laughs) So, yeah, you have quite a story. Um, Why don't you start by just sharing with us a little bit about how, what happened to you, what, what was going on for you that you were on food stamps and, and like you call it the dark night of the soul. And then how did you come out of that? Mm, thank you. I, it's interesting because almost every woman I've spoken to over the last 10 years who is some kind of healer or light worker, um, shares with me that they are going through or have gone through some kind of chronic illness, like stress-related illness, autoimmune stuff. I mean, I've been really surprised at what seems like an epidemic to me, women of all different ages just grappling with health stuff. And... um So that's something that has really struck me as I've gone through my own journey of debilitating illness and come out the other side. uh, You know, I guess like attracts like. (laughs) Um, So I seem to have just, you know, a lot of women who've just had conversations with or have been grappling with similar stuff. And so I think that it's, um, I can speak to my own experience has felt like there's some way that we are, it's like we're being asked to learn how to create in a way that's different than maybe women have created or been allowed to create um, historically in a more recent paradigm. <laughs> that we're in kind of like the birthing pains of learning how to create as women and not as men 
And I know for myself, I, in my younger life, had taken on a lot of, I would call them like masculine constructs, you know, a lot of shoulds, a lot of kind of type A, go, go, go personality. Um, And my life reflected that because I had been a competitive athlete since I was a child. I was under contract as a teenager and just, uh, you know, pushing yourself, pushing myself was just part of my lifestyle. And Mm -hmm. at a certain point, like my late 20s, my body just was like, nope, we're not doing this anymore. Mm. And I think a lot of women have that experience because that style, that kind of masculine style, whether it's healthy or not for masculine bodies, I don't know. Um, it certainly doesn't work for our tissues and our hormones to be like always on like that. Um, so for me, it was really probably ultimately initially stress related. And then that ended up affecting my hormones, you know, stress levels, uh, kind of triggered autoimmune type symptoms. Um, and eventually I also compounded by chronic pain because I had been rear-ended several times through car accidents and had a lot of kind of, un, you know, un, uncared for hurts and pains all over my body. Mm-hmm. And eventually um, my immune system was so compromised that I ended up getting shingles like seven or eight times. Mm. So... It was just a huge you know, one wake-up call after another. Um, but I love what you were saying when you were introducing me and just, you know, like written into my bio. It just ultimately I look back on that 10 years as a huge gift um, because it did teach me how to create in a way that was much more restful to prioritize, like Oprah says, to put myself on the list, to put myself on the to-do list. And to center my life around radical self-care, to, like, weave naps and baths and walks and quiet time into my business schedule. Um, And I'm so grateful because I get to pass along that way of being and leading by example to other women who I see are, like, stressing themselves out, pulling their hair out trying to create in these masculine ways. So I feel like we all, we all got to stick together as, as women, as people, to link arms and to kind of relearn how to create. Mm, so I love that. I, I love what you said, yeah. Jessica, and I just want to um, step in here before we, we go into your recovery from that. Um, you know, so, there's so many corporate women, and you have – a big community of women entrepreneurs that are supporting each other, which we're going to get into more. But have you experienced a lot of women coming into your community who had been in the corporate world and are wanting to shift that masculine way of being to become entrepreneurs in the more, more, um, you know, creating from the divine feminine and how have they been, how have they struggled with making that transition? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it seems like the women who come into my fold, there's definitely a fair number of women who 
were in the corporate world or in the nonprofit world, because a lot of nonprofits, small enough, are structured such that they take on the neuroses of their directors, mm. and which aren't always healthy. It's like ultimately coming from a good place, but then there's like not any bit. <laughs> there's just stuff <laughs> that people working for the organizations have to contend with. It is, is it can be really intense. Um, a lot of women who, um, empowered themselves by choosing to divorce, obviously marriage, divorce are, you know, are such unique, you know, unique choices. And so they're stepping out of being supported by a partner for the first time in Mm. their uh, yeah. in a long time, and so there's the stress of, like, having to support themselves, um, which is similar to stepping out of corporate because there is that big paycheck. It comes with its mm-hmm. – the paycheck can come with its shadow side of the repercussions of being in that world, uh, just like being in a, you know, bad relationship uh, can also right. come with its own, obviously, stressors. And so the, the – yeah. well, almost like the heroine's journey is very similar. Right, right, right. You know, it's funny. I I just, I've always been drawn to your message of creating from the feminine. And I want to dig a little bit more into that. But when you were talking about the nonprofit, I I realized, oh, that was my story. I'd kind of forgotten that um, I worked at a nonprofit graduate school that had like a spiritual element to it. And it was such a burnout experience. And then I worked for a a program for teenagers, like a violence prevention program for teenagers. And that was also equally burnout. I could only do it for a couple years because of the low nonprofit travel, the low cost travel just killed me. And I noticed that the men seemed to be able to last a lot longer. They could go for several years, but the women will only last about two or three years of that kind of travel and we would burn out. So um, I, it just kind of helped me realize that I'd been through that myself when you were sharing that. So mm. thank you. And so, yeah. so, yeah, so tell us a little bit more about how you got out of that and, and how did you develop this way of, of creating more from, from relaxation and pleasure and divinity? Well, it's interesting because as you were speaking, you know, because I know you from the world of, First and foremost, I know you from the world of open relationships, like, you know, done well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Open relationships done well uh, in supportive community. And, um, and And then we've gotten to know each other as sisters in entrepreneurship. And I mm-hmm. think that really um, the, uh, there was a big piece of it where it's like, you know, when we're growing up, we are told you're going to find someone that you love and then you're going to get married and then you're going to have kids. And I was even, I'll, don't, I will tie this into your answer <laughs> or to your question. <laughs> um <laughs> But I was even told, my parents even told me um, that I didn't have to go to college because I was pretty and I would easily find a man who would take care of me. Like, Mm. you know, these messages that we get as, you know, as children 
end up sometimes becoming, they, they become these fantasies sometimes, but they also become these shoulds. So in the same way that it's like, I think as I'm growing up that I should find that one person that will be all of the things to me, my best friend, my partner, my financial partner, my, you know, uh, domestic partner, my co-parent partner, my, you know, like this one person that's going to be all these things to me, uh, my best friend, my lover, et cetera. And I'm like only going to have sex with that one person and be in love that one person for years, assuming mm-hmm. I get married in my thirties and I live into my nineties. Like we, you know, similar to our, our career paths. Like even though our generation, I think, has so many more choices than our parents. Like I'm, mm-hmm. my mother's generation had far fewer choices than I do did. I think that we still just take on these shoulds about like identifying with our, how much money, like putting our, tying our self-worth to how much money we have, the house, the car, the trappings of life. We, you know, like all of these things that could be fantasies, all these things that we are told that we should want, um, they, they become these, like, should, these cages. And I think that, that to answer your question, the more that I, uh, which it, for me informed how I was running my energy in a really masculine stressful go 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 way it was like okay i gotta achieve this i gotta do this i gotta be out there i gotta be creating a powerful woman i'm out there killing it you know being superwoman doing all the things that that became like these like layers of cages that i was putting myself in and so i really had to learn how to let myself of those cages and it, you know, like I remember when I was on food stamps, like too sick to really work. And I was really like pursuing my dream. I was creating very beginning phases of creating Femme Talks, um, which is my women's community here in the Bay Area. And it wasn't making any money at the time, but it was like so, I was so passionate about it. Like it was like kind of my first step in like really, letting go of all the shoulds and just following my dream and my heart. Uh, I remember like one of my dearest friends, she's like, just couldn't understand. She's like, why don't you just go get a job? And I understand. I can see the wisdom in that to just go make a little bit of money, create a little buffer. But like, she couldn't see my vision. That was like, my vision was no longer kind of thwarted by all of the, sh- the shoulds, I guess. So I don't know if mm-hmm. any of that makes any sense. Those were the thoughts oh, that came into my head. <laughs> yeah. So even as you started to feel better and you maybe could have held down a part-time or full-time job, you were kind of born again and got, had gotten used to following your passion and had let go of having to have all these trappings of success and were maybe a little more comfortable living modestly while you followed your passion. Does that sound true? That's very true, yes. Mm-hmm. So what advice do you have for other women who are trying to learn how to come from a place of putting themselves on the to-do list first and um, having, having enough self-care and feeling like they're filled up when they have 
you know, to pay the rent, especially in the Bay Area when it's so expensive, and they might have kids to take care of and, um, you know, all these other obligations to handle. How does one do that in practice? Mm. I want to answer that by almost like answering your last question from a slightly different, a more practical answer to your last question, which was, when I was like so in the middle of being sick, like where I real I didn't know what was wrong with me. I just knew that like my hair was getting thinner, my memory seemed like it was shot, my energy levels were crap, and I was in constant pain. I was like, okay, well, I the one thing I can change is my like really really cleaning up my diet. And I had been a highly trained holistic health practitioner uh, previous to this. So I kind of knew what I needed to do in terms of just hardcore, okay, we're weeding out everything as a start. And so Mm -hmm. I started to, um, because I knew it was good for me, but I hadn't been practicing this, I started to drink two huge glasses of water in the morning because it kind of flushes your system, gets kidneys and liver all flushed out. Just kind of, it's a great wake me up without being like coffee. I still Mm -hmm. do that by the way, but it was Mm -hmm. like this idea of like, rather than like making radical change and throwing all caution to the wind, it was like, here's this one degree of shift one degree that I can like change the vector that I can change. I can change this one tiny thing. It doesn't cost me anything. It doesn't really take up any of my time. And then that led to like the next week making another small shift. I don't remember what that was. I don't know if it was like drinking bone broth or taking multivitamins. I'm not sure, but it was just that one shift that then combined with the next tiny little self-care that I wove in, which then led to the Mm -hmm. next layer of self-care that I wove in. And so I would say to women that are stressed or overwhelmed or maybe grappling with their own illness or a sense of unsustainability in their business or their relationships or their role as a mother, to start to weave in – it's almost like random – or at least regular acts of kindness for yourself. Mm. But you kind of have to start with one thing at a time or it will just become another thing on your to-do list, another stressor. Right. Like, oh, i got to go for another right. walk. <laughs> so ultimately yes. it became in like blocking out time in my schedule to, I work from home so I can take a nap. It's probably harder if you're like at a five job. But the things that I could do, and eventually expanding on those things and then starting to notice a correlation between like the months or weeks that I really took like pristine care of myself where I allowed myself to take that bath, you know, where I allowed myself to take like an almost daily nap where I allowed myself to like really, really deeply care for myself. Those were the, there was an immediate correlation with like a, like a boom in my business um, my income following that same trajectory, like if I charted them on a map, my self-care went up, 
my income went up. And I think it was because my magnetism went up. Like I just Mm -hmm. am more attractive Mm -hmm. when I'm in a restful centered place versus, you know, people feel when you're stressed and overwhelmed. Right. So thank you. That's a good answer. Self-care. Yeah. Yeah, we think we can fake it, but people can sense our energy when we're depleted, for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's yeah, interesting, totally. you, you mentioned, you know, naps a, a couple times, and I've recently made a commitment to myself. I heard some podcasts I was listening to, they said that recent studies have shown that sleep is more important than exercise and diet together combined for um, weight loss, sense of well-being, energy level, et cetera. And as I get into my late 50s, um, I, don't, I, I can't do the late-night partying anymore. There's no more melatonin being produced after midnight. So I just recently made this commitment to go to bed at 10. And, of course, my inner teenager is like, oh, you're never going to have any fun again ever because you can't go to any parties. But I wasn't having any fun anyway when I was dragging my ass and having no energy. <laughs> so <laughs> making this commitment to go to bed at 10 and realizing I have to start unwinding things by 8. I can't be like doing this really crazy high energy thing at 930 and then just go right to sleep. So it's really shifting my whole lifestyle around. And just it, it's one decision to go to bed by 10. But boy, has it rippled into all areas of my life. And it's like depression is a thing of the past. I have so much more willpower mm. with the choices I make through the day because I'm well rested, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I, I totally want to validate just, you know, find that one thing that you can choose to do because it really can shift so many other areas um, as an in, in an incidental kind of way. Yeah. I love that we have this full hour to just kind of go down all of these rabbit holes like self-care, open relationship. <laughs> well, yeah, let's talk Party. about open relationships. No. <laughs> so, yeah, I want to I hear a little bit more about your history with, um, with ethical non-monogamy. Um, a little bird told me about when you were young and you um, fell in love with your two best friends. So that might be a good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it, thank you for asking. It's, it's so interesting because I guess I don't really get to talk about this stuff that much. Um, I back even further back than that, because I remember when I was first starting to have like kind of those like early teen fantasies uh, about relationships and what my life might look like, you know, you start kind of thinking about romance and sex before you're actually experiencing those things. And it was interesting because most of my thoughts and fantasies included two people. Like there was never just one whatever. In my case, it was Prince Charming because I was attracted (laughs) to men or boys, I guess, at that age. Um, So, yeah, so then flash fast forward to being in high school and really kind of having that very first experience of, of love and beyond just a crush, but just feeling that, but you know, that first experience is just such a strong experience. I guess it's always powerful. Love is always powerful, 
but it's like the first time I'm having these feelings and just the, the, you know, just the drama of it all. I can remember all these chemicals running through my body. Of course, that's not how I was experiencing it, but just the excitement of, you know, we didn't have phones to text back then. So it was all like actual phone calls or like (laughs) letters in the hall, you know, at school kind Mm -hmm. of thing or, getting up the courage to actually go over and talk to a boy and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, yeah, I just kind of right around the same time ended up just kind of falling head over heels for these two boys who they were best friends. They weren't my best friends, but they were best friends. Oh, okay. And one um, was a year older and so I, there was no, there was no model for, I, I, I didn't even hear the word polyamory until I was in my like late, late teens, early twenties living in New York city. And so my model in my mind was, okay, well I'll marry one and then I'll get a divorce someday. And then I'll like, you know, be able to marry the other one, you know, and like as, as a, like a rekindled old flame. Um, So that was like the only way my mind could like fathom. And even then in my conservative Christian upbringing, like divorce was just like not an option. But in my Mm -hmm. mind, I was like, well, that's the only choice. That's the only way. And that's how it's going to be. You know, (laughs) like, you know, feel how my little mind was searching for a way to like be with both of them at some point in my Mm -hmm. life. So what it ended up looking like was I dated one and we actually really had very little in common. Like the conversation was just like, no, it just, there wasn't like a true connection. He wasn't available in the ways I wanted him to be, but then had a really lovely, like, uh, I don't know, six month or a year. It all seems like an eternity when you're that age relationship with mm-hmm. the next one right afterwards. So it, it ended up being more of like a serial monogamy situation but mm-hmm. the second one was a little bit older, and by the time I was dating him, he was already in college, and I learned so much from him in terms of him, because he didn't, he lived like the next, he lived in Seattle, I lived in Spokane, and him actually giving me permission to see other people, which I didn't take him up on, because it felt like cheating mm-hmm. in my in my mind at the time, but he really mm-hmm. like having these conversations where he was like, really? I mean, like, we we love each other. It doesn't hurt me. I want you to feel free to explore, you know, and just him giving me that uh, permission, I think gave me some things to chew on. And his, the way he thought about the world was so different from the way my parents did. And so I felt very, he was a very influential person in my life. And then fast forward to living in New York city as, basically a teenager moving there when I was 18 and just kind of magically falling in with some people that were older than me who had done landmark forum, who were in open relationships, who had uh, like play parties, small play parties, but that were very connected. It seems like they had great communication, long-term relationships within that world. And so I kind of got inducted into this world that really resonated with me and then moved to the Bay area where there's, in my, at least in my opinion, a lot of that going on. So I felt mm-hmm. right at home once I moved here. Beautiful. Thank you for that. 
If you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. We're speaking with Jessica Hadari, founder of FemTalks, and we're right in the middle of learning about her story of ethical non-monogamy. So um, you were in a community in New York, and then when you moved to California, how did you find your people here? (laughs) I had... um, When I was still living in New York City, I went to a festival in Morocco because at the time I was traveling all over the world going festival hopping because that's what you do when you're 20, 21. (laughs) And (laughs) um, when I was in Morocco, everyone I met was from San Francisco. And so I was like, okay, I'm moving there. This is a sign. And moved there with my husband at the time I got married when I was very young. Um and moved there with my husband, and one of the friends that we both really resonated with that I met in Morocco was just connected to, like, huge, vast amounts of community. Like, uh, now it feels normal to me, but at the time I was like, who knows this many people? Because, you know, just he was just connected to so many people. And so he invited us to some some, like, house parties that were kind of, like, sensual or sexual in nature, you know, just a lot of, like, young people having fun. And at the same time, a lot of the people that attended these parties were older than me, so, like, by 10, sometimes 15 years. And so I really got to engage with people that were quite a bit further ahead in the world of non-monogamy who had a lot of experience with partnership and had taken a lot of commu- uh, work- uh, workshops around communication and kind of blended those two worlds together. So I fell in ultimately with a tribe that I felt really connected to or kind of a several circles, several tribes that were overlapping that I felt really connected to because of the conscientiousness that they brought, that it wasn't all about just, you know, having sex with as many people as you wanted to. It was really like, being in partnership with people that you love and having freedom to explore, but that that freedom was ultimately honoring of the people that you love. And I really learned a lot about the communication around everything from safe sex, uh, which has to be a part of the equation, um, and uh, communication about feelings and boundaries and agreements and um, from these older, these people who are older and wiser than me. And I just soaked it up like a sponge. I really, really, really resonated with me. So I feel like I was cool. really lucky. Yeah. Because not everybody gets yeah. that, like, hand-holding. Right. And also you weren't ageist. So you, um, you didn't, like, only want to be with people your age. So you exposed yourself to people that were more experienced than you. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so were you and your husband, um, did you have an open marriage at that time? You know, we really, we we did and we didn't. I, I would say officially, no, our marriage wasn't open, although it was something that we were in conversation around a lot, mostly fueled by me. I was mm-hmm. the one that was pushing for the open relationship because it just, it just, like, I loved him. Um and yet I knew I, there was like this vastness 
that of me that didn't want to be contained and mm-hmm. I wanted to be with him. It was like a yes and. Like, I want to be with you and let's go have fun. And initially that included me, like, dragging him to play parties. But he didn't feel comfortable in a way that I felt like I, I, was, I, felt like I, was, I was home. Like, I'm like, I just felt mm-hmm. so at home with the people that at least I ran into that would attend these gatherings. And, um, and he felt really uncomfortable. Like, he was really just trying it on for me. And in the Mm -hmm. end, there were many other reasons we didn't stay together. But that was definitely one of them. It was just a mismatch in life, in the desired lifestyle and love Mm -hmm. style. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a hard lesson to learn and a mistake that I made again, where I actually ended up getting married again to another man. The situation was a little bit different in that I assumed we were in an uh, open relationship because we we kind of were, I can see where communication wasn't as pristine as it could have been, but then things changed when we got married, where his expectations of, I guess, kind of what a wife should be um, mm-hmm. changed. And it was, that, was very, that was very hard because it felt like the rules of the game I thought we were playing changed mid-game and mm-hmm. ended up being unsustainable uh, because it really wasn't what I signed up for. Um, mm-hmm. so I had to learn that lesson twice. The final thing I'll say is that I really came to my current relationship, which just feels so strong and honest and just all, all cards on the table, uh, in, in both directions from him, from me, uh, you know, I really came to like my first date and even what I wrote about myself on okay Cupid, just like, here's who I am. And here's what I'm looking for and here's what I'm available for. And it was the perfect way to approach uh, dating him or dating anyone uh, as a rule of thumb. Just there's nothing uh, like those things have to be put out there first and foremost, because I've learned that compromising myself and who I am doesn't work for me doesn't work for the other person you know and it's great because then I attracted this person who was totally in alignment we're totally on the same page with everything I wanted Mm -hmm. Uh, but he got to like make that decision because he knew what cards were on the table or whatever I don't know that I'm not using the right metaphor no you are it's it's good because it does take us a while as we're maturing to really understand who we are so how can we honestly present ourselves to a potential mate when we haven't really even learned who we are yet um, and also, we run from a lot of insecurities, uh, unless you, you're the very small percentage that comes from a super functional family that teaches you how to communicate and have relationships. Most of us are just coming from this empty hole where we're trying to be validated, and especially as women in this culture, you know, we want someone to love us and make sure that we're lovable. And, and coming from that place of insecurity and emptiness and codependency, um, we're not always so honest. So it takes a while. Um, until we get into our 30s at least to where we can practice and I know there's some really mature 20-somethings I've met a lot of them Um, but I know when I was in my 20s I was just you know slobbering all over the place as far as relationships go Um, but you know just to be able to have that degree of transparency and honesty and vulnerability that open relationship really requires and it sounds like you Mm. got there and because you were willing to live to that degree of vulnerability and transparency, you found somebody who could match you there. So congratulations. 
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think as women, we're yeah. all recovering from the also just kind of like the good girls syndrome. Like, I, I don't think I was, I was definitely a black sheep growing up, definitely very rebellious. But at the same time, I was like a highly trained good girl. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that even though I thought I was at the time as a teenager, as in my 20s, I thought I was like, so out there and radical, there were ways when it came to being loved, like this person who I totally have a crush on, and I really want him to like me, and I really want him to want me as a partner or whatever, that then there was ways that I would, you know, like learn patterns from that I received, you know, received growing up, watching my mom that are just in the culture, that I would kind of revert to these like making myself more attractive or more accommodating or more nice or more like femininely appealing um, Mm -hmm. that really didn't serve me. And I think we probably Mm -hmm. every, any woman who's listening to the show can probably relate with her own version of Mm -hmm. that, whether it's in the workplace or in relationships or (laughs) open relationship or not. I feel like that's just a common thread for the ladies right now we're birthing this mm-hmm. new paradigm but it's like you know the birthing pains are still there right yeah the programming goes really deep and not just for women but for all marginalized groups i mean if you think of mm. a lot of racial groups have the generational trauma that they carry and it, it really does take a community support to break out of that so um i do want to talk about mm. the community that you've created, which is so empowering. But my last question on open relationship is um, you have managed to forge this beautiful relationship, uh, like a co-parenting relationship with the father of your child. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that for a minute. Hmm. Yeah, there's this word that we use, uh, that I hear used often in the open relationship communities. Um that the it's the word compersion and i think it's become more common now but compersion is like i know that you know i'm just saying this for people who might be listening who may yeah. or may not know that it's like the opposite of jealousy it's like to watch some somebody else have something like a juicy kiss with someone else or to collaborate in a business partnership with someone else or whatever, or, or get a new car. I don't know. And you could feel jealousy and all of the many gradations of jealousy or envy, but on the other end of the spectrum or maybe a different spectrum is compersion and all of the feelings of like joy and happiness that you feel for that person because they're having a wonderful time. They're enjoying themselves. They're experiencing success. And oftentimes I think it's probably a jumble of all the feels, all the feelings. Um, So I guess I start my answer to your question that way because I see a lot of people who go through divorce, like my, my divorce with my son's father, uh, 
you know, it could have gone a million different ways. I see a lot of people divorce whether they have children or not who put a lot of energy into, um, like, being really mad that the other person is now happy. You know, you watch the person that you were with move on into relationships or even, you know, remarrying or having more kids or whatever, and it can be uh, kind of a, a natural and understandable response to feel like jealousy, to feel miffed, to feel like you want that person to not be happy because of what they did to you or whatever. And I can understand that. Um, but I really, from the get-go, from even before we were divorced, I really saw this reality that was very much coincided with the the reality of, of uncontained love that for me goes with open relationship that this this experience of love that I, I can love you and I can love you and I can love both of you completely just in the same way I can love if I have multiple children I can love my multiple children completely um, that I had a similar vision for me and my ex-husband, not that we were going to be romantic any longer, but that we could choose love and choose to really be happy for each other's independence and choose to really enjoy that, like, the love that each of us have for our son and the love that he has for each of us individually. And I'm very lucky that my ex-husband was able to get on board with that vision. Because in another reality, mm-hmm. I would have held that vision and he would have been nasty or whatever. So I, I was lucky in that I chose an awesome life partner and that we will always be life partners in, in parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, we've been able to, like, remain really good friends. We have been amicable pretty much the entirety of our since we separated years ago. We separated when my son was two. My son is now 16. His, mm-hmm. My ex-husband's wife, now wife, is, has become one of my best friends. Um, mm. We have family dinner together every week. They have had three additional children who I am their favorite auntie. I'm happy to say I'm the mm. only auntie whose house they will go to for a sleepover because they love Auntie oh. Jessica. So we've just like, but you know, it's not that there hasn't been bumps along the way, um, but we have all ultimately gotten on the same page of choosing uh, to love each other and respect each other, and to really put the children first, and to give mm-hmm. the children a positive example of family and togetherness and getting along, and all of the grown-ups behaving themselves in the best interest of all the kiddos. But, but then it also comes from this authentic place. Like we really do love and appreciate you, pre, appreciate each other. When we give each other hugs, they're like real hugs. But it's kind of like which came first, the chicken or the egg? We choose mm-hmm. love and then experience love, experience love and then choose more love. So it's kind of exponential. Excellent. Good for you. That's such a beautiful story. I really appreciate that. Yay. <laughs> Yay. 
So I want to make sure we have enough time to talk about your community of women entrepreneurs, and it's mostly spiritual women that are um, healers, change makers, women that really want to make a difference in the world and really want to follow their hearts, um, really want to find a vision where they can express their true selves in the world through their work. So um, how did Fem Talks come about? And uh, maybe just share a little bit about the origin story of that, and then we can go into some more details about it. Mm. This is a story, so I think a lot of people in the Fem Talks community have heard me tell, like, the later part of the story, but this it's maybe only, like, once or twice that I've told, like, the whole story. And I'm not going to, like, go on and on, but this the first part of the story is, like, uh, it ties in, I think, a lot with what we've been talking about in some ways. So my um, mother and I had a very, like, contentious relationship. I wasn't, like, the, you know, as a little rebel. I wasn't, like, the good little girl I think she was hoping for, the good little church-going little girl she was hoping for. <laughs> we, I love my mother. We get along now in in small doses. Uh, but growing <laughs> up, being on top of each other in a household was, like, a whole thing. And also, you know, for me, in junior high and even high school, I had some experiences with my girlfriends where, like, girls can be really mean to each other, like, devastatingly awful to each other. Um, so my experience, like, multiple experiences of girls just kind of being catty and bitchy and mean and gossipy, spreading rumors just for the kind of the thrill of it, um, really, I think, created a, a sister wound in me. Mm-hmm. And um, I had my son at a young age. I had him when I was 22. And I knew that it would benefit me and my son to be friends with other moms. But I noticed that there were very few women that I naturally felt comfortable with. And even just being at the, you know, the downtown Berkeley YMCA and on one hand feeling a lot of community there, on the other hand feeling like afraid to even go in the women's locker room because there were women in there. Like I was afraid of women. Like in my mind, Mm. women were hurtful and mean and catty. And so I was like, okay, this is not going to serve me or my kid to be like afraid of other moms when they're probably good people. But I just like, you know, it just was like this, maybe like a almost, I don't know, just this feeling in my body of of fear and anxiety. So I was like, okay, (laughs) I'm going to surround myself with women. Um, So I ended up just hosting some knitting circles in my living room with women Mm. that I did know and invited them to bring a friend. And it was just kind of like easing myself into the warm hot tub of women getting along, connecting over this, you know, craft of knitting, having a little bit of wine, enjoying ourselves and forged some really lovely friendships there. And then that turned into, um, I got into the workshop world that that turned into hosting some women's circles out of my living room. And one of those women's circles ended up, um, uh, we ended up circling together for 11 years. Like Mm. it started out every Wednesday. So like that was what we did on Wednesdays where we circled together. It was a small group of us for over a decade. And I learned so much about 
what it is to be relationship, what it is to be in a relationship with a group. Um, where there's so many workshops out there about how to relate with your partner and be intimate with your one. And um, whether it's a group of women or, uh, you know, a constellation like my co-parenting constellation of co-parents, I just learned so much about, like, group dynamics and choosing group love with this group of women, like sisterly mm-hmm. love. And so sometimes it's just a natural organ- organic spinoff of that. Eventually – it just was like, I know so many amazing women facilitators, workshop leaders, therapists, coaches, authors, uh, just from community. I want all of you to meet each other. Let's get together once a month and network and share wisdom and connect. But it all came from wanting to heal my sister wound. Mm. And um, I rarely have any shadow material come up around sister stuff. It really, truly immersing myself in consciousness women's community was the antidote for that sisterhood wound within me. Yeah, that's nice. Thank you for that. And so um, FemTalk seems to have really grown a lot. Uh, I want to hear a little bit about, in case our guests want to hear about the structure of it, but I just want to say that um, there's a way that, like you said, women, there's a, a story that women can be catty and, um, pick on each other and bully each other and you know the social structures of girls in school can be pretty difficult to navigate unless you're in the in crowd <laughs> so I think a lot of us come from that story of competitiveness with women and what you've created with femtops what I've noticed is that there's such a, a sense of abundance um, and that there's enough to go around for everyone so it reminds me of polyamory in that way mm. where there isn't, I mean, we may sometimes feel jealous about another woman in the community or human, um, but the intention of the community is to know that we're all going to win because we are there to support each other. We're rooting for each other. We're cross-promoting each other. We're um, seeing the unique brilliance and the unique gift that each woman brings that only she can bring. And, really believing, like being that belief until we can believe in ourselves. Um, Did I describe that well? Is there anything else you would add to that? That's gorgeous. I wish, I'm like, I wish I had recorded that. Well, we are recording Well, it is recorded. That was was beautiful, yeah. (laughs) No, that was so gorgeous. I really, uh, I, I feel really honored that you see the FemTox community that way. It totally resonates. And I truly, truly could not have said it better myself. Um, yeah. So it, when it women win. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, when, when women win, what that looks like is that we, you know, right now only 1% of land owned on planet Earth is owned by women. Like when women mm. win, we will own as much of the things that men own and we will hold the same number of roles of leadership that, uh, that men hold and we will enjoy the same prosperity and the same partnerships. Men have always partnered and collaborated with each other. They have always Mm -hmm. invested in each other's projects. They have, you know, like they have, you know, in some ways men have been collaborative, maybe in, in ways that don't quite, feel the way our collaborations and partnerships might feel. Um, But I 
but when women win, it's because we all get a bite of the cake, not because mm-hmm. some women do and some women don't. It's like we absolutely, like the crux of what I want for women and what I see now, the la- you know, through Talks, is women linking arms and stepping forward together and, and mm-hmm. elevating each other because there is plenty mm-hmm. of room for women to rise up. Mm-hmm. Yes, true that. And I, I heard somewhere that when men accumulate a lot of wealth, they tend to keep it for their families more. And when women do, once their basic family's needs are met, they tend to be more charitable out to the larger world. Have you heard that? I have heard that. I've also, there was, I so wish I could find it. There was this, this is, I don't want this to turn into a, a male bashing thing because I love men and actually <laughs> had a wonderful relationship with my father and my brother and they're men of integrity. And, you know, so I, I, I do love men, but I also, they're, um, I was listening to this fabulous interview on NPR once with this woman who I think is a, was this, a senator, but I can't for the life of me remember her name. Um, but she was saying how men will statistically spend a lot of money on, like, drinking and smoking and prostitutes. And women, like, we want our, all, the, all the kids to be able to get to school safely. And we want the, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll, like, fund nonprofits and we'll, you know, mm-hmm. do work in the community. There are men that do that, too. But it is, mm-hmm. like what we will spend our money on typically are different, different priorities, different things. Right. Just if, if money was in the hands person, of women. Yeah. Healers, yeah. I was going to say if money was in the hands of women healers, like if, if the money, the big money was in the hands of women healers, this world would be a vastly different place. Wouldn't sure. it? Wouldn't it? That, that is the quote of the day. <laughs> Okay, so before we run out of time, I want to hear, we just have about five minutes left, and I want you to also talk about your newest creation, the um, magazine that you created. So tell us a little bit about that, and then before we run out of time, I want you to tell people how they can learn about learn more about FemTalks and if a woman might want to join it, and how she can also find, or how women and men can find your magazine. So you have about five minutes. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. I, well, I really want more women to have more voice uh, to, or more, more, more of a spotlight to speak about the ways that we uh, color outside of the lines, which is why well, I love your radio show because this radio show is dedicated to open relationships, polyamory, non, you know, ethical non-monogamy. Um, and I feel like the, that chosen lifestyle is a way of coloring outside of the lines. And there's so many other ways that women uh, are being activists and are out there in the world living outside of, you know, outside of social societal norms and living outside of the status quo. And so I created Rebel Priestess Magazine um, just as a place to showcase the voices of women uh, who are, you know, modern-day light workers, who are trailblazers, um, who live outside of the status quo, and who are creating, um, you know, like, be, I guess, being the change that we're all, the changes we're all wanting. Um, so, yeah, so I actually was able to feature you in one of the last issues, um, and your, you, you wrote a beautiful article about jealousy 
And I'm always looking for women to share about their stories around uh, being, being women of color, stories around alternative relationships, alternative lifestyle, alternative mothering. Uh, even like I would love to receive more submissions uh, for women writers who are writing, you know, erotica uh, of all sorts. Mm-hmm. So it's just a, a place to showcase the wisdom of women, but in a way that's a little more, um, a little more edgy than the wisdom that we showcase at Fem Talks, uh, where Fem Talks mm-hmm. tends to be more focused on like personal growth, spiritual growth, um, entrepreneurship growth. Uh, the women who are attracted to some talks tend to be very uh, sex positive, very uh, activist oriented, ph- philanthropic, generous women. But I feel like the magazine gives more of a voice to the, those other facets that we don't always get to showcase when we're out there in our kind of client attraction mode. Um, right. So, yeah, so you <laughs> – so you can find uh, you can get free free issues of Rebel Priestess Magazine at rebelpriestessmagazine.com. Um, super easy, just making it super easy for women to access uh, each other's wisdom. Cool. And Femtalks is femtalks.org, right? Yeah, femtalks.org, rebelpriestessmagazine.com, and I also love connecting with people on Instagram, which is just at opulent priestess. Um, oh, and I have, you know, we were talking, um, I wasn't actually planning on sharing this, but my, I have an alternate website, uh, opulentpriestess.com, um, not to be confused with rebelpriestessmagazine.com, but I have mm-hmm. a, a woman's, uh, the, the opulent woman's pleasure care package, it's available. Mm. It's free. It's just a little downloadable self-care package that's just all about taking opulent self-care, opulent self-care, radical self-care, and um, some of the practices, the rituals, meditations that I've engaged in over the year that really help me reset myself when I feel those irritable thoughts creeping in, when I feel my body mm. going into stress mode, uh, when I need to really like come to the world as a deeply centered woman. So that's also just like free, free goodie, free priestess goodies that uh, people can pick up at uh, opulentpriestess.com. So any of those ways are oh, wonderful. to reach me, connect with me, stay connected with me. Yes, please, please. Yes, thank you for that. That's an excellent um, gift, the self-care package. We'll all take advantage of that. So we're out of time, but thank you so much, Jessica. It was a delight to speak with you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Such a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I'll see you later, Jessica. Bye-bye. So next week on Leading Edge Love Radio at 6 p.m. Pacific time, we'll be speaking with Jay Wiseman, who is a prolific author, um, particularly about alternative sexualities such as BDSNM um, and uh, queer lifestyle, um, has many, many books out, Jay Wiseman. So please join us next week, 6 p.m. Pacific time on Leading Edge Love Radio. This has been your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at SumatiSparks.com. Have a great evening.